in verse 5. Revelation chapter 21, reading at verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. I will be his God, and he shall be my son. We're going to take our title and put our thoughts around it of the statement in verse 5 behold I make all things new so that's the train of thought I wanted you to be thinking about and uh, that we'll be coming comment on uh, this morning in the message Lord willing by the Holy Spirit in conjunction with what we have read here It is very sad to me and grievous, and I'm sure it is to you who are Christians also, to constantly hear the modern and new delusion about saving the earth or the planet. And again, I do not say that uncompassionately or condemningly, but it is grievous to see that kind of willful ignorance manifested. And I say willful ignorance because there is the clear teaching in the Bible of where things came from and where things are going and why we're here. And it's been around a long time. And recently, this new thought has developed that we need to save the planet. That's nothing short but of another form of idolatry. There have been earth worshipers before, naturalists, some different things, new age, different titles, different things. But the grievous part of this is literally a statement that Jesus made, and it's a very universal statement, in... Matthew chapter 22 and verse 29. He was speaking about a certain subject there, heaven and so forth. And Jesus told those who were trying to trick him and had asked him the question deceitfully, ye do err not knowing the scripture nor the power of God. And that is so true, is it not, of so many things that when we err, It is not because there's not an answer, but because we have not heeded the answer that God has given us in his word. Man will not destroy the earth. Man is not capable 
of destroying the earth. All the combined efforts of all men cannot destroy the earth. And again, by reading God's word, we know very clearly that God made it. And God, as we have read, will one day destroy it. The earth as it is was not intended to be here forever and ever. God is going to make all things new at some point. But this is not rocket science. It's very simple. Again, you read Genesis 1 in chapter uh, 1 and 2, you're constantly reading the word and God made, God made. And if you don't read that, you read God spoke. So by direct authority, by the very fiat of God, He spoke, and that power, things were made and created out of nothing, out of no previous material or matter, out of nothingness, God made everything. And I'm going to take a little time here to read a few scripture to remind you that by creating it, it belongs to Him. Now, the Bible declares this. We, we kind of forget this sometimes. We can be lax in it. I mean, not that we ever disbelieve it. But in the Psalms, chapter 24 and verse 1, the statement is very simple. And it is an awesome statement. It says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Psalms 24, 1, verse 2. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Now, if it's God's by creative right and man could destroy it, we could rob God of what's his, couldn't we? We could take it away. Foolishness, ridiculousness, absurdity. What men need to do is read God's Word and know that the great, infinite, and eternal God created all things that are, all things that are therein, all things that will ever be, and He did it for His glory. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. As if this verse is not enough, the psalmist in the 89th chapter and verse 11 says again, The heavens are thine, the earth also is thine. As for the world and the fullness thereof, thou hast founded them. So God by creative right is the owner and possessor of all that there is in heaven and in earth. Very plain, very simple, not hard to understand at all his. And since it is his and since it is for his glory, he will do with it as it pleases him for as long as he has determined and then as we have read, he will make all things new. Paul quoted those verses two times in the first letter to the Corinthians. I'm going to take the time to read them, those also. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 26, he says, quoting Psalm 24, 1, 
The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Verse 28, But if any man say unto you, This is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat not for this sake, it showed it, but for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Man came from the earth, but the earth is not man's. The earth, as all things, therein belongs to God. I listen to a certain station at times. Used to listen to it more when I was working driving the propane truck and uh, there was some programming I listened to and at other times other things pop up. And there was a little... There's a little thing that would pop up. I forget the title of it. It's on a PBS station. And uh, it would pop up, and it was funded and came from the University of Houston. And it would tell little, all kinds of neat things about plants or animals or birds and the way things work. But, of course, it did it from an evolutionary, totally 100% evolutionary standpoint. And uh, it was something about creative minds and invention. And he always, they always made this statement about the earth being created by man's hands. That statement was always in there. A world created by the hands of men. Well, of course, if you believe in evolution, you have to believe that, you know. And I thought, how foreign to the Word of God. But that's where we're at today. But again, this world has not been created that we see by man's hands. Before man was here, God created. And that's the Genesis account. So it's not man's by ownership, by possession, or by creation, and therefore man does not have to protect it or preserve it because it's not his. In fact, in God's Word, I would challenge anybody to show me where any human or group of humans are told that it is our duty and our responsibility to preserve the planet or the earth as we know it. It's not there, I can tell you that. I'm not being a know-it-all. But in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 23, when man was sent out of the garden, he was sent out to till the ground from which he was taken all the days of his life. And the word till there simply means to work or to serve. That means that mankind is a steward on God's planet. It's not ours. It's his. And because of sin, man has to work to provide his livelihood. So we are not told that we should preserve it, nor are we warned that we could destroy it. In fact, just the opposite is true. In the book of Genesis, and I'm going to be quick here, but in the 8th chapter of Genesis, And in verse 22, I believe it is, the last verse of that chapter, we read, While the earth remaineth seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. The climatologists that tell us that we're heating up the earth and going to destroy it, which would mean an end of the seasons as we know it, are refuting what God has said in His Word. God said the seasons are going to continue. 
And God also says in our text and in other places, one day God will be through with this earth as we know it, and He will make all things new. In fact, while we're there, I'll just reference this. You might want to read it. In Genesis chapter 9, this is after the flood, uh, God told Noah to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth, and about the fear of every beast and the dread and so forth, and every living thing be meat for you, and herbs and so forth and so on, and the dignity of, of human life also. Don't eat flesh with blood in it, verse 4 and so forth, and all of that there. This is uh, after the flood, and again, God doesn't tell Noah... You better preserve it because, uh, you know, you could destroy it. No, this is on the heels of God destroying it. And he destroyed it with water, did he not? And he said he'll never destroy it with water again. However, the Bible says he will one day destroy it again and it will be by fire. God made it. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 2 tells us not only did he make it all, but he upholds it with the word of his power. God made it. God owns it. God sustains it. And when he's done with it, he will be the one to destroy it. Now, I'm not promoting pollution today. I am promoting good stewardship of mankind, but it's in man's nature to take advantage, to sin, to plow the ground and, and work the ground until uh, it can't be worked anymore, to overuse and abuse and what have you, whether it's our ground, our air, or whatever. But man's not going to destroy the earth by abusing it. In fact, one other comment i got to make about the weather, and I want to get it in here in case somebody's never heard me say anything on this subject before, which, by the way, we have preached on this before. We preached some messages from Genesis 8.22 on global warming, and those may be available if you want to look them up. But the bottom line is God upholds it by the word of his power, and only God will destroy it. The earth is here for a limited time, just like everything else. And when with it, as he said, the Bible tells us that every one of us as human beings have an appointed time. A time to be born, a time to die. Paul in Mars Hill in Acts 17 said that. That God had determined the times and the bounds of the habitation of every individual. Bible tells us it's appointed unto man once to die because of sin. And after that, the judgment. Well, the earth also has an appointed time. That's it. And when that time is up, God will destroy it and make all things new. Let me get back to the point I was going to say about climate and, and climatology and so forth. The weather, okay, to be brief, hear this. The weather is one of God's tools by which he uses to bless man or to punish man. If you study the scripture about rain or heat or whirlwinds or tornadoes or hurricane and see what the scripture says, you will come to this conclusion. And I'm, 
I'm giving you this and cutting through the chase. When God's people are obedient, God blesses them with good weather. That's a general rule. And the earth brings forth. He promised that. When people are disobedient, that's when God sends heat and drought and famine and many other things. God's got a lot of tools in his shed that he can use to bless or punish, and weather is just one of them. So I wish the climatologists would look at it from that perspective, and then we'd be hearing a whole lot more about the truth of God's word and weather and what it's used for and how God used it. It's based more directly upon man's obedience or disobedience. But think about that. This earth, this habitable earth, is being kept in orbit. The seasons are as they are. And the scientists even admit that a little degree here and a little degree there, and we could all either freeze to death or burn up. The reason that hadn't happened, the reason it's not going to happen, is God is capable not only of creating it, but sustaining and upholding it, all things in a perfect balance. Some people are scared that asteroids are going to hit it and, and destroy the earth. You know, we've watched too much Hollywood and too much TV. No, an asteroid's not going to destroy it. God's going to destroy it. And that's not going to happen. Get in the Word of God and quit watching TV. And you won't be miserable and fretting about what's going to happen to the planet. Quit listening to the Scientologists and listen to God, the architect of it all, and it'll all give you peace. All right, let's talk about something. God says here he's going to make all things new. This is a precious thing to think about. How happy are you with things as they are? If you're a child of God, you know this is a tough place, isn't it? And it's getting worse and it's getting more ungodly. We look forward to the new stuff, don't we? We look forward to a new day, a new dawning, a new hope, and a new body, and a new life. And all these things are promised us, are they not? Well, first of all, why would, let's ask the question, God make all things new? What is the necessity of making all things new? Why does it need to be made again? And the answer is very simple. It's one little three-letter word, sin. Sin. In the original creation we read in Genesis, man, those first two chapters are wonderful, aren't they? I mean, wow, you can just, you know, if you could just forget the rest of the Bible and just read Genesis 1 and 2, those two chapters in the innocence of which they were, the creation took place, man, it just, man, it blesses your heart, doesn't it? I mean, God spoke and it did this. And you can just, I can just read that. I've read it many times and just visualize the supernatural thing happening of God creating out of nothing. And by the way, let me also say, when He created it, He didn't create it over a long period of time. He created each of those things in a day. And they were fully formed when they were created. The grass was fully formed. The animals were fully formed. Man was fully formed. Everything was fully mature when God spoke and it was created. And it's just amazing. That is knowing the Scripture and the power of God. But in Genesis chapter 3, all that God did that was pronounced good became bad, didn't it? Well, it didn't become bad. I, that's a bad use of words. It it became corrupted. And what corrupted it? Sin. 
sin, was it not? Sin as leaven or yeast as we know it. You don't have to put a hundred pounds in. Just a little pinch will do. And what's it's in there, what does it do? It contaminates everything. That's what sin has done. Sin didn't just corrupt Adam and Eve. It affected the whole creation. It affected the animal world. It affected the plant world. It affected the earth. And you read all about that in Genesis chapter 3. What did the Lord say? Now you're going to have to fight thorns and thistles and brambles and briars. Every time we deal with a thistle or a briar or a cucklebur or anything like that, we're reminded this all started because of sin. Every time you go to a funeral, it's because of sin. Every time you hear somebody with cancer, it's because of sin. It's because of sin. God did everything good, but sin has corrupted it all. All of it. So there's the necessity of someday, one day, God making everything new and destroying all this. Now it says that God saw a new heaven and a new earth. God created a new heaven and a new earth. Why the heavens? Well, that'd be a legitimate question. Well, what didn't sin just take place down here and, and so everything just, the earth needs to be destroyed and not the heavens. May I remind you that the first sin we know of took place in heaven before man. Who sinned up there? The high angel called Lucifer, Right? And not only with him, but a, about a third part of the angel sinned. And that took place in heaven. Heaven was corrupted before the earth was corrupted. So sinned up there. Satan came down here, deceived Eve, corrupted this down here. So they both need to be made again. Because Lucifer sinned up there and man has sinned down here. And the necessity, finally, we would say of making all things is, is this. Again, dealing with sin. That God will once and forever purge all of His creation by eradicating sin and its effects. He's going to do that with the people. He's going to do that with this earth. This habitable planet and the heavens. And when he does that, then we're going to have a heavens and earth that are perfectly holy and infallible. The creation, first creation was good, it was perfect, but it was not infallible. It could be contaminated, it could be corrupted, and sin did corrupt it. But when God destroys sin and all its effects from this creation... The next one will be infallible in that regard. Back in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 13, this statement is made, and hold your place when you turn there because we're going there in just a moment anyway. He says, We look, nevertheless, we according to this promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, and what? Wherein dwelleth righteousness? Since Adam and Eve sinned, this earth is a place of unrighteousness. Unrighteous people committing unrighteous deeds, ungodly things. Sin has contaminated everything down here. So that is the necessity of God making all things new.
the means of making all things new. And when we say the means or how God is going to do it, first of all, let's think about God's ability to do it, just for a moment. God's able to do it. You know, if you don't believe in the creation, then you're going to have a hard time believing God could destroy it. But if God can make it, God can destroy it. He didn't create something that was too big or got out of control that he can't get rid of it. We do that. He's never done that, and he won't do it. It has a time, a duration, and when God is done with it, he will destroy it. He is able to. One of the proofs of that is he destroyed it once before, didn't he? With water and a flood, and now he's going to do it again. The means of making all things new is described there in 2 Peter. And I'd like for you to read this with me, if you would, please. Because many of our thoughts that we're going to come present to you next will come from this. Chapter 3 of 2 Peter, verse 1. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles, of the Lord and Savior. So what he's fixing to say, he's saying has already been said in different generations, not just by himself, an apostle Peter, and the Lord Jesus Christ, but by prophets before. In fact, our very subject. Here was prophesied by Isaiah, and we'll give you that scripture a little later on. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last day scoffers walking after their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Wherein the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. Okay, the reference there is to what? God created it and God destroyed it with a flood. Both in Genesis chapter 1 and then what we read about in Genesis chapter 6 through 8, the destruction of it. Verse 7, But the heavens and the earth which are now, by the same word, are kept in store reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens shall, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Now, the Bible makes it very clear here, and uniquely here, through Peter, the apostle, how God is going to make 
things new. He's not going to send another flood. every time in every context as a day of judgment fire in the Bible represents judgment in fact when Adam was driven out of the garden what was put there the first fire we know of a flaming cherubim right was put there flaming cherubim sword all put there so again judgment but what we read about here is again incomprehensible the scope the scale of this it is and again think about it. the earth was destroyed by a flood of proportions that we can't comprehend we simply cannot comprehend but the heavens weren't touched by the flood were they this is going to be fire that will destroy the elements above as well as the things on this earth. not going to be some scientific explosion of the sun that somebody has speculated about. No, the Lord's going to destroy it with a fervent heat. And again, all he has to do is speak the word and it shall be done. So Peter is the only one that goes into detail and tells us about the means of how God is going to do it. in that respect so I don't I don't believe for a moment that the earth the whole planet is just going to be the planet is going to disappear in that regard but it's going to be burned up with fervent heat to eradicate everything 
all of sin mainly and all of sin's consequences. Let's finish up here by talking about the distinctiveness of making all things new. Well, when God does this, then we have, just for image sakes, a clean slate, don't we? We have a clean blackboard. There's no residue of anything there. I was always amazed when I was in school about when they came in and used whatever they used and cleaned the blackboard, you know, if a teacher used it all week, you know, there'd be little parts of other things they'd written on, erased here and there, and you could see residue on there. Well, in our text, it's talking about the elements and the rudiments of the world, you know. But when you come in on Monday morning, if they cleaned that blackboard, I mean, it looked like brand new. It looked like nobody had ever written on it before. There's not going to be effects of sin. There's not going to be consequences of sin. Sin is going to be gone once and for all. Sin free. Now that's perfect. That's perfect. And if... People, look at the text. Verse 3. The tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with him, and they shall be His people, and God shall be with them and be their God. Now, He's our God now, but He's in the heavens. He's not down here. This place will not do for God to inhabit. He's in a holier place than this place. But when He makes it all new then we can dwell not only with Him, but He with us in a new heaven and a new earth. You remember what the Bible says about God being so holy He can't look upon sin? Can't be in the presence of sin and this, that, and the other, you know? I mean, it's like, you know, uh, when you put those magnets up there and they repel one another, you know? I mean, so, going to be sin free. And I told you a while ago, this was prophesied of old when I read that scripture in Peter about that. Let me give you those scriptures very quickly, lest I forget. In Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17 and 18.
dying on a cross, shedding his blood at the hands of wicked men. We don't know all that. But I think what this is saying here, the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. It's just like a lot of things that happened a long time ago. You just don't think about them anymore, do you? The memory of them loses itself over time. And so by comparison, by comparison. In other words, uh, you know, if you've ever bought a new car, you know, first new car, man, I mean, that just out of this world, you think you never would forget it. Well, after you've bought six or seven or eight or nine, if you're able to do so, you probably don't think much about that other one, do you? That's what it means. The former things become so insignificant compared with the new. Volkswagen, they were good cars, but when you graduate and are able to buy a Cadillac, you're probably not going to have your mind much on a Volkswagen anymore because you've got something so much better. That's the way the verse is speaking to me. And then in the 66th chapter, there may be on the same page or page over verse 22, for as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. Notice that, which I will make, and what does he say? Shall remain before me. It will be eternally here. This one's got a time limit. child of God. The text does say some other very distinct things and some others that I'll add. The unique thing is the first one, first earth and heaven are passed away, verse 1, and it says there's no more sea. That's been the subject of a lot of debate and speculation. I'll tell you what I think it means. I don't think there'll be any more. that water and it's a process it's a cycle isn't it and then amazingly we have a thing called a moon that controls it all the lunar table controls you know is in proportion to the tides and all that working together in God's way well that's what we need now for this earth and this state of things but we're not going to need it in a new heaven and a new earth and in fact I don't want to offend anybody, but I don't have no use for oceans anyway. Don't care for them. Don't care for the beach. Last thing I'd want to be would be out in the middle of the ocean somewhere where I couldn't see land. That, that, that would be a fear to me, you know. But the bottom line is, think of it as this. Oceans are...
where it's speaking about the new Jerusalem and so the city had no need of the sun neither of the moon to shine in it for the glory of the Lord did lighten it and the lamb is the light there God's going to be the light of the new heaven and new earth so not going to be no sun not going to be no moon not going to be no need of no ocean to keep everything cycling and going God's going to have a new system in place I don't know what that's going to be finally here the distinctiveness that will apply to us be verse 4. Those effects of sin are gone forevermore. All of those, the effects and consequences of sins. There'll be no more disease, no more headaches, no more funerals, no more burying. None of that. It'll all be gone forever and ever in the new heaven and in the new earth. Now, if that don't give you an appetite for God making all things new, I don't know what will. As a child of God, it certainly does me. Because if I could get rid of some stuff right now, this would probably be my list. No more tears, no more grief, no more sorrow, no more death, no more crying. All this stuff that hurts and pains us and grieves us and gives us problems here on the earth, all because of sin, be gone. Once and forever. Verse 27 says of chapter 21, There shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. All those, what? Effects, consequences of sin. But they which are written in the Lamb's book of life, the people of God, the elect of God. And of course the holy city is described here. I don't have to go in in detail here time about it, but most of the rest of this chapter, 21, is all about the new Jerusalem, the holy city, the habitation of God with His bride. I will say this, verse 7. He that overcometh shall inherit all this. God's people will inherit that. If you're a believer today, this is what you can look forward to. I look forward to it. When God makes all things new. This is the inheritance of the saints. God is now my God. I'm will have the inheritance. And it will be a new heaven and a new earth that not only suits us, but more importantly suits God. That He can tabernacle with us and among us. Peter again said two or three times over there where we read a while ago, looking forward. That is what we're looking for. But what are we to do in the meantime? Be diligent that you be found in peace without spot and without blemish. Live holy lives. Close with this. The text says again,
looks up to the number six.